Welcome to the Beacon broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com, beaconbaptist.com. The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. Well, the Lord has brought us safely through one year and deposited us on the threshold of a brand new year. And so on this first day of January, 2024, I thought I would look at an account in Mark chapter 14, which will encourage us, I trust, to be fruitful and faithful and busy in the work of the Lord during this new year. The account that we're going to examine is a well-known New Testament account about the woman who anointed Jesus with expensive perfume. It is recorded in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, and each of the accounts supplies some helpful details that altogether make the account more full. But even in spite of that, the incident is probably not quite as well known as it should be. For I have found that many Christians have only a rather vague concept of what really took place in this important event in the life of our Lord. And I say it's important because Christ thought it was important. Important enough that we should know it and that we should remember it and that it should be reported widely. He declared that it would be widely proclaimed throughout the world. And therefore, it must be a worthwhile event for our investigation and instruction today. And so I think it is a timely account with which to begin a new year. There were three responses to Christ in this account, and we'll take them up one by one. Number one, we see the folly of unbelief in verses one and two. Number two, the sacrifice of devotion in verse three. And number three, the criticism of callousness in verses 4 through 9. And so we will do that on the broadcast today. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for remembering that we are in need of the help, financial help, of our radio listeners to continue this teaching ministry on this station. Well, the account begins in this way. After two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. This was a strategic time, both in the life of our Lord and in the life of the nation of Israel. It was the Passover season. It was the time when the Paschal Lamb going all the way back to the redemption from Egypt, was to be slain and 
consumed in a special meal by every Jewish family, remembering that that lamb slain was a substitute for the firstborn. The firstborn of all of the Egyptians and all of those who, in unbelief, did not slay the Passover lamb and put the blood on the sides and side posts and over the top of their door found that their firstborn was slain that night. A judgment for their unbelief. But those who believed God and did what he said, and I'm sure many of them wondered about it. I'm sure many of them might have hesitated at first. I'm sure many of them would uh, perhaps have asked, "What? what is the significance of this, and why are we doing this rather strange thing, and is this really an important thing to do? The sort of questions we sometimes ask when we find an instruction in the Word of God that we don't fully understand. How long will it take us to learn that if God tells us something, it's not necessary for us to understand it, but it is necessary for us to obey it? Sometimes we do understand immediately, and that's welcome. We're not adverse to having understanding. But sometimes it is not understood until later, far after the time when the act of obedience has taken place. And we don't understand it at the time, but we do understand it later. And sometimes things that God commands us to do are never understood in this life but no doubt will await eternity for a full understanding. So the point is not, do you understand this command? Do you understand the reason for this command? Does this make sense to you? The important thing is, if God said it, then I am going to believe it and obey it. That's what someone who believes in God does. That's what someone who surrenders their lives to the Lord does. That's what someone who recognizes that God has the right to tell us what to do does. Don't forget, you who have been parents, you who are parents or have been parents, how many times you told your young children to do something and they didn't understand, but it wasn't necessary for them to understand. It was necessary for them to learn to obey. And so here was another annual Passover celebration. It was in Jerusalem, the center of Jewish worship, where many, many thousands of people from all parts of the dispersion of the Jews had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. If it was on at on the in the year AD 30, and we don't know that for certain, but we do know that the lamb on whatever year it was, the lamb was slain on Thursday and eaten on Friday, and if it was AD 30, then Thursday would have been the 14th of Nisan and Friday would have been the 15th. But at any rate, after it was slain, the the Passover lamb, there followed the next seven days the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Unleavened bread, that is all leaven left out, all yeast removed, because that was a picture of the removal of sin, how that sin defiles, how that sin must be cleansed. And the cleansing of the sin is typified in the slaying of the lamb, And Jesus is celebrating this with his disciples 
and his, his himself is going to become the lamb, the one that this symbolic act has been pointing to for hundreds of years. But Passover is a strategic time. It was the biggest event on the Jewish calendar. And so it was a strategic time, but it was also the time of a culmination of a long-delayed plan. And what do I mean by that? Well, again, look at verse 1. After two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. They'd been planning Christ's death for a long time, but they weren't quite sure how to carry it out. But they realized that they are going to have to do something to to deceive in order to carry this out, to take him by trickery to kill him, something that they have wanted to do for a long time. That has been their intention, and that intention has only grown stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger as Christ continues to teach the multitudes, and many people were listening to him and were were believing in him and were honoring him and listening to his words more than to the words of the Jewish leaders, religious leaders, and that's what made them so furious. And so they had been trying to kill him for a very long time, but so far they haven't been able to do it. But they are getting ready to put this long-delayed plan into action. But there is, in the way of their plans, a rather surprising deterrent, namely that Jesus was too popular with the crowds. <laughs> Surprisingly enough, verse 2, but they said, not during the peace, feast rather, lest there be an uproar of the people. We can't put him to death during the feast. We can't arrest him during the feast. We can't put him on trial during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. Now, actually, there are a couple of ways to understand that statement. I take it to mean that they were afraid that the people would rise up in support of Jesus and in opposition to them. Earlier, they had said, when Christ had questioned them about the ministry of John the Baptist, they asked him a question, and he said, well, if you'll answer my question, I'll answer yours. And my question is, The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? In other words, was it given by God or was it just something that John made up and really had no particular divine significance? And they weren't sure how to answer him, we are told, because when they talked it over, they said, well, if we say that the ministry of John was from heaven, he's going to say, well, why didn't you believe him then if you knew it was from heaven? That put them on a, in a bad light. But on the other hand, and this is the point on, on what we're reading here, if we say it was from men, then the people will rise up against us because they're convinced that John was sent by God and his ministry came from heaven. And so we're afraid to arouse the opposition of the people. And so it seems like the same thing is happening here. After two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death, but, they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar 
of the people. Now, I said there is another way that some commentators understand that phrase, and some understand that to mean that they were afraid that the people might be stirred into an insurrection that the Romans would have to come down and stop. And so what they feared about the people is that they would get out of control and the Romans would suppress them and and it would put all of them under a stronger, stricter Roman rule than they had now. In fact, it was even possible that in the course of something like that happening, that they could lose their positions. In fact, some might even lose their lives. Now, that's the way some people understand it. But even that could be linked to the popularity of Jesus with the people. That if they started a, a, a significant movement to acclaim him as king, that that very likely might bring down the Roman authorities upon them, upon the Jews, and they didn't want that to happen. So whatever it was, either one of those, but in either case, it seemed like Jesus had too much popularity with the crowds, and they were unwilling to risk arresting him at the time of the feast, when, when there were bigger crowds in Jerusalem, when there were more people here, when there were more people that would witness what they did and might oppose what they did. And so they are deterred from putting him to death at this time. Isn't this amazing, particularly in the light of the fact that this turns out to be the time when they end up arresting him and trying him and crucifying him? They ended up doing it at a time that they said they wouldn't do it, which raises the question, who's really in control of this timing? And the answer is God is. This was the right time on God's calendar for this to happen. We will take it up some more tomorrow. Please join me then. Until then, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.